Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, um, who's joining me via Zoom, all the way from San Antonio, Texas, is my friend Abby um, Weidmer. Is that how I say your last name? Weidmer, that's right. Weidmer. And Abby is um, going to talk about her journey with her own emotional health. And by way of background, she started a blog and an Instagram account, and I'll have her talk about that. Abby and her husband, Kevin, are active LDS. They grew up in California. Um, Kevin graduated with an MBA from the University of Utah, I believe, and they took a job in San Antonio, Texas. And so they're away from family on their own with two kids. Abby has a communications degree from BYU and a master's degree in public administration and still does work part-time while raising two kids in the BYU art department. Abby served a mission about 10 years ago in the Belgium Netherlands mission, beautiful part of the world. Would love to go back. I'm sure with her husband once the pandemic is over and we're just really glad to have you on the podcast, Abby. This is really brave of you and um, to start an Instagram account and a blog about your own mental health. Um, and Abby, like a lot of my guests, which helps me as the podcast hope has sent me about five questions to ask her to draw out the point she wants to share. So we'll we just be going through that. But Abby, do you have things you'd like to just share before we start? I think just because you brought it up, if, if anyone is interested in um, in checking out the blog or the Instagram account, it's the soul of things. So it's the soulofthings.com and the Instagram is the soul of things. And I can talk more about that later. Tell our listeners, that's a really cool name. Tell our listeners, Abby, how you came up with that name. Uh, well, as I was trying to brainstorm a title for the blog and also um, find a URL, I was thinking about like a sort of white space and making space for things, making space for uh, our feelings and our experiences and kind of making space to process that. And I came across a, a quote um, that is, to slow, to slow down is to be taken into the soul of things. And that quote just really resonated with me because I feel like um, I often feel like I need to do more and I need to be quicker and faster with things. And I, I, I found that I have really just benefited from slowing down a lot in my life as far as becoming more of who I want to be. I love that. I really love that. Thank you, Abby. Let's start with this first question. Tell us about the start of your mental health journey. Uh, so as I mentioned before we started, I entered the MTC, the Missionary Training Center, um, 10 years ago this month. <clears throat> um, and when I entered, I, I really struggled with my companion. And it was less because of her and more just because of being with someone 24-7. I feel like that can kind of cause you to face some things about yourself that maybe um, not being in that position, you can ignore more easily. Um, and so I just, I felt like I was, I was less control, less in control of my life and kind of the goals that I wanted to achieve in the, in the MTC while I was there because I was so dependent on her. Like I couldn't, I just felt like constricted in sort of a new way. Um, and just as a perfectionist, I think it was really hard for me. I didn't have access to a lot of coping mechanisms that I had before, like running or talking with friends or, you know, all those sorts of things. So um, I was struggling while I was there and I, I ended up talking to a therapist a little bit at the MTC. Um, that was the first time I'd ever talked to a therapist and I, I don't really remember much about it. I just remember that I did. I think I went maybe once or twice. Um, 
And around that same time, an elder in my district ended up, he ended up um, going home after being diagnosed with severe depression. And it really affected me. I've always just been really sensitive to the feelings and experience of, experiences of others. And um, it, it was like surprisingly hard for me that he went home and I just was like really feeling for him and wondering um, how things were gonna be for him. And I wonder if maybe I had some sort of, um, felt some sort of like connection to him and his experience as well almost like a foreshadowing a little bit later of my experience in the mission. But um, that was kind of significant for me in the MTC. Um, And then once I was in the country, so we flew into Belgium, but then I first, my first area was in the Netherlands. And I really, I struggled off and on emotionally and I, I didn't, know how to express what I was thinking or what I was feeling. And so I felt like really just sort of isolated with the feelings that I was having. And I tried kind of reaching out to my mission president a few times, but I always sort of brushed off how serious it was um, because I didn't want to be a burden to anybody. And I didn't know if I, if it was just me, like I just wasn't handling things well. Um, you know, I just felt like I should be doing better. Um, and then at, at one point, my mission president did refer me to the mission therapist who I talked to on the phone a few times. And um, looking back, I think that laid a good foundation for things that I needed to learn and that I would learn later on. But that experience enough, or that experience alone wasn't really enough for me for what I needed. Um, So finally, at a missionary conference, my mission president was doing interviews and I just had been feeling so desperate. Like I remember praying that night or the night before and that morning, just so desperate. And up until that point, my prayers had always been like, okay, I'm, you know, I have some deficiencies, like please help make me braver and more confident and more knowledgeable and more, you know, all of these things that I thought I needed to be. And when I wasn't, you know, when my, my personalities and my capabilities weren't like drastically changed, I thought, okay, like Heavenly Father isn't answering my prayers. Um, And I just was like really, really struggling at that time and um, kind of trying to know what what to do. And, um, my mission president at that missionary conference was doing the interviews and, um, he sat me down and it was a really interesting experience. He sat me down and basically told me like, I think you're depressed or basically like you are depressed and, um, we want to get you some help. We think that you need medication. And I was kind of like, whoa, depressed. Like that's a, big jump. I think, um, at the time, I feel like mental health is talked about a lot more now, but at the time to me, it was just like this big thing, like, oh, something is majorly wrong with me. And it was like, so shameful. And, um, I just like, didn't think that I would ever, you know, that would ever happen to me. But, and I can't tell you, like, I, I didn't know what, kind of inspired him to say this. I had brought it up with him before kind of how I was feeling, but I don't think I had brought it up like recently to him. So it it really kind of took me off guard. And um, he told me that he had struggled with depression before and medication had really helped him. And so that was the help that they wanted to get me. And so um, they connected with a psychiatrist who was actually located just outside of the mission. Um, but he was a member of the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, um, he was actually, he was American, 
but he'd been living in Belgium for many years. So they connected me with him. And I went to my first appointment with him. I remember it was like the worst day of my life, the worst day of my mission, at least. I was just so struggling so much. And um, I went down there and met with him. And he asked me like a lot of crying questions, <laughs> but really just, I, I felt like they you know, opened up some wounds that I hadn't ever um, addressed. And I think my mission president and his wife kind of expected that I would go in and get a prescription for medication and leave and, and be better. But I, I felt like I left his office sort of with this open wound. And I, I, I told the mission president's wife that I, I would like to keep talking to him. And so, so they arranged it for me to go meet with him a few more times. And um, I started the medication and it made just a huge difference. And with a combination of that and working with the psychiatrist, I uh, was just able to make a lot of progress. That's a brave of you just to share that, Abby. Um, tell us your name before your missionary last name, your maiden name. Oh, it was Rich, Abby Rich. So Sister Rich. Mm -hmm. um, and now, am I saying your last name right again? Weidman? Weidmer. Weidmer. I want to make sure I get that. It is right there, Weidmer. Um, yeah. I, you know, a lot of people, I think, sort of have underlying mental health issues and there's something about being on a mission that it's a stretching experience. So those, those challenges have kind of been below the surface, sort of come to the surface. So um, I just admire you kind of, and then you naturally, I think you turn to Heavenly Father, which is helpful because you may first think it's a spiritual weakness and you're on a mission, so you would increase your spiritual behaviors. But I love the way you figured this was not a spiritual weakness. This was an emotional issue and needed to be solved. And I love your mission presence role in this and him being honest with his own mental health. Was was depression the correct diagnosis? Um, yes. At the time, it was. I, I Looking back, so I've since been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, and that happened in 2016. And I've always kind of thought of them as two separate things, as I have obsessive compulsive disorder, but originally I had depression. But it really hasn't been until recently that I realized, oh, I was depressed because of unaddressed, unregulated obsessive compulsive disorder. I didn't know how to handle it. And that led to depression for me. That's interesting. Now, I don't know if you want to talk more about he, this therapist, this psychiatrist, I think in Belgium. Yes. Kind of opened wounds or opened old wounds or caused you to realize there's some wounds there. Do you want to talk any more about that? Um, yeah, I can a little bit. It's not a big thing for me now because I've been in, I've been on this journey now for like 10 years, but at the time it was like, um, my first time really considering, I guess, just how my life had affected me up to that point, you know, even, I mean, he didn't dig into my childhood a ton, but like a, a little bit. And I just realized that there were things that I hadn't not like, not even big things, but just things that, um, I hadn't really addressed or realized had impacted me as much as they had. Um, I think one thing too, was kind of, um, working on my relationship with my parents a little bit, which sounds kind of funny to me saying it now, because I feel like I have a really good relationship with both of my parents. Um, but there were some things at the time that I think happened between me and my parents when I was younger, things that they had said 
that I didn't realize had influenced me as much as they had. And that was kind of my first experience realizing that my parents weren't perfect (laughs) and, um, and that I kind of had to, um, pull away from them a little bit, I guess, and, and kind of learn some things on my own. And it's interesting. I, um, my mission president did give me the opportunity to call my parents at that time. And I, I did not because, um, it just didn't feel right to me. I, I did. He called them, I think before I started medication or before I went to the psychiatrist, I don't remember, um, to let them know. And my mom later wrote me and said like, Oh, we pray for you all the time. But I, you know, I didn't even think to pray for your happiness. Like, I just thought that was like a given. Um, and I think as I thought a lot too, kind of about the difference between my experience in the mission field with depression and the experience of that elder in the MTC with depression and how he went home and how I was staying in the mission field. They did ask me at one point if I wanted to go home, but I just, for some reason, it was important for me and my experience to deal with this in the mission field. And I think that a big part of that was that I needed to have the experience away from my parents and my traditional support system, because I think I maybe would have um, kind of relied on it a little bit too much or kind of regressed back into like childhood me. Um, But I feel like, you know, God really blessed me in the mission field with my mission president was just who I needed and his wife and the psychiatrist and my companion and the ward I was in and the city that I was in, like the family that I was living with, it was all just seemed, it was the support system that I needed at the time. That's really, that's a great story. It's a great story. And I love the way every story is a little different. And, um, but I love the way you felt like the mission was still part of your journey to continue to address this and continue to serve. Um, talk about what happened after your mission. Um, so when I, I ended my mission on like a, a really high note. Oh, one th- could I add one thing? You bet. I was going to, I was living in a, as I mentioned with a, a member family or a member couple. It was the bishop and his wife. Um, And I noticed one day on his bookshelf, he had these two books by Wendy Ulrich. Um, They were called Weakness is Not Sin and Forgiving Ourselves. And I got permission president to read those. And I just studied it during my scripture time. And uh, it was, it, that was a huge part of my journey as well. So I'm really grateful for those books, especially the, the weakness is not sin helped me to just think about weakness differently and, and turn to, you know, humility instead of anything else. I love that. And those are great books. Um, I haven't read those books, but I'm aware of those books. And I do, I mean, I think of the missionary mind and so much of that is about worthiness and because you're trying to be sensitive to the spirit. And so I love where you were honest about some of your things that in your own personality set, you looked as, you know, things that you wanted Heavenly Father to make stronger for you um, in the earlier part of that segment. And I love, and I, and perhaps you didn't do it, perhaps some of us do is look at those things as displeasing or things that Heavenly Father wants us to prove on or even sin to that point. And I just think we need to get to a point where we just accept ourselves who we are and know that Heavenly Father is working through us the way He created us to reach people and bless people. And that doesn't take personal improvement off the plate, but it just 
it just keeps us focused on just being the best person we can. And it may not be our skill set to develop every skill that everybody else has. Um, it may be just our best journey just to be the best person we can. And then, like you say, not look at any weaknesses we have as sin or something that's even displeasing to God. It's just who he's created and he's proud of us. So we should be too. So I love yeah. that. I love separating all that into the right compartments. I think you've done a good job of that, Abby. Anything more about your mission before you want to come home from your mission and talk more? <laughs> yeah, I guess I would just add, um, I haven't said anything yet about the role that my savior played in it, but I, it was huge for me. I mean, I felt like at that point, I don't think before my mission, I had really ever genuinely felt my savior's love. Um, not in any sort of deep penetrating way anyway. Um, and I realized on my mission that, that love was, had for me was had become like this conditional thing it was hard for me to um really love unconditionally and it was hard for me to feel that anybody could love me unconditionally and um i just would say really long prayers in the morning and i would um while my companion was in the shower and i would we had this picture of Jesus on the wall and I don't remember which one, maybe, you know, the classic one with his red robe or something, but I would like look at the picture and kind of stare into the eyes. And it sounds weird because it's just a picture. And, but I felt like I needed some sort of tangible visual to, you know, feel like he was there with me. And I, you know, the psychiatrist suggested that I prayed. I, I prayed to know um, how he felt about me. And so I did, and it took a while, but I finally felt like, I finally felt the love of my savior in that really deep way. And that just, that along with really studying his life in the New Testament, and that was just life-changing for me. That's great. This is a beautiful time for you and a stretching time, but a foundational time. To learn a lot about you, it reminds me of my own mission. We learn a lot about ourselves when we're stretched in unique ways, and that can help us become the people that um, we need to become. That's great. Yes. Uh, talk about coming home from your mission and just the next segment of this podcast. Yeah, so I I left my mission on kind of a high. <laughs> I feel like I Good. maybe you, did, you, earned, you earned it. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's normal for a lot of people, but I just, I thought, you know, the last few months of my mission, I was like, I have never felt this way before. Like, you know, I always had been so hard on myself and realizing that I could be loved and feeling the love of my savior and just, you know, putting my whole self into serving others. I, it was this totally new feeling for me. And I also learned a lot of skills as far as maintaining my mental and emotional health. And um, when I came home, I was, I was nervous of kind of regressing. Um, you know, that's a big change. And I, I'd become used to how to live in the mission field. And I didn't know if I could maintain that outside of the mission field. And I was, I was worried about sort of regressing and, and dealing with depression again. But um, I, I came home in May and I had one semester left at BYU in the fall. Um, but I didn't want to go back home because I felt like that would be, you know, that would be like the first step to regression. I needed to be kind of on my own. And so I lived with a my mission trainer in Logan, Utah for like six weeks. And then I lived with my sister in Arizona for a few weeks before going back to school. And um, I just, I had a couple of really good years. I had amazing roommates in Provo um, and a really great ward, a really great bishop. And 
Um, I graduated that December without a job and that was difficult. Um, but eventually I found a job and I started to date my now husband. And um, that was kind of a trigger for the next part of my mental health journey because um, not dating him actually, dating him was really smooth and easy and um, got engaged at four months. And that was a trigger for me for uh, relationship OCD, which is another subtype of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and it doesn't always have to be with a romantic partner. And I think that relationship OCD affects other relationships in my life. Um, but one way that it sort of manifests is just in this continual questioning of if you're with the right person. Um, and obsessive compulsive disorder really feeds off of uncertainty and trying to make certain things that can't be made certain. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just, I really struggled when we got engaged. I like instantly felt kind of like this pit in my stomach and my husband noticed a difference. <laughs> I could, I, he was like, I mean, he didn't say anything to me about it, but I could tell that he noticed and I felt kind of guilty about that. Um, but I knew that up until then I had felt really good about every step that we've taken, we had taken forward. And I knew that I had felt good about marrying him. And so I kind of, I didn't know how to handle that situation. I knew prior to dating my husband, I had always kind of struggled in relationships just really overanalyzing and questioning and, and doubting and, um, you know, finding things that are wrong with whoever I was dating or whatever it was. And I had, you know, I knew that that would be kind of a problem that followed me no matter who I was dating. So I, I don't think it was anything particular to my husband, but just that, that obsessive compulsive disorder kind of getting in the way. So it was really distressing for me. And about a week after we got engaged um, was general conference. And I thought, okay, well, like, you know, we're told to take questions to general conference. And so I'll see, I'll take this and see how I feel about marrying him. And um, I was just really anxious the whole time I was watching it, which makes it really hard to feel the spirit. And um, I do remember like they had talks about marriage and family, but I was like, they always talk about those things. <laughs> so I don't know if that's supposed to be any sort of direction for me. And um, so I didn't feel like I got a clear answer or anything from general conference, but one thought that I had was to call my parents. And so I thought, okay, well, that's, that's the only, that's the only thing that I, I feel I should do after watching this. And so I, I called my parents and my parents actually sort of separately had confirmations for me. I feel like that I should marry my husband and I, I kind of worry about how that comes across. It's okay. <laughs> because, um, I don't know. I feel like it could come across as like outsourcing or um, my parents maybe not actually receiving revelation for me because it's that their place. But I think that Heavenly Father just knew my heart and knew that this isn't something I was in a place to um, really be receptive to but my parents were, and they both had just really strong impressions about it. And, um, and so I said, okay, I, I trust my parents and I trust how I felt earlier in our, um, dating. And so I'm going to move forward with this. Um, and I think that 
that that's just what I needed. Um, but I kind of thought once we got married that that would go away and it didn't. So um, relationship, OCD, that aspect of it, which wasn't diagnosed yet, by the way. So we got married in 2014 and I was diagnosed in 2016. But it just made our marriage really, really hard. Um, and I know you've talked about scrupulosity before on your podcast, and I haven't used that word yet, but um, relationship OCD and kind of how it interacts with my scrupulosity OCD have just made my marriage really hard, especially the first few years. So I just talked a lot, <laughs> but I don't know if you have any questions. Thanks for just talking and sharing this. Um, I, somebody a long time ago talked about relationship OCD in just passing in an earlier podcast. So I'm glad you're talking about this. And the more I've understood OCD is you have to live with the ambiguity, you know? And uh -huh. so I think instead of, and I love where you said, you want to be certain, especially for your eternal partner, you want certainty. But if there's this OCD that, you know, it's part of just learning to live with the ambiguity is part of the therapy for solving OCD. I know for scrupulosity and um, compulsive hand washing, it's living with the uncertainty that perhaps I'm not clean and sort of just learning to live with that because the compulsion. But so I guess it's part of living with the ambiguity of just this is, you know, I'll never know for certain God unless God stands in front of me and tells me I'm supposed to marry Kevin. This uh -huh. is going to be somewhat just my personal revelation, the feelings I felt, influence of other people, and just the overall goodness of this relationship. But OCD may think there's 7 billion other guys or 3 other billion guys. Is there one that's, you know, is this the right guy? And so I think there's that's pretty honest. And I love the way you're separating just normal personal revelation and questions from OCD, relationship OCD, that's, that's an OCD that's making this harder for you, that's not a spiritual weakness, and it doesn't mean you're not committed to your marriage. It's just harder to sort of separate the two. So I love that you've got a, a diagnosis for this, because then I think you can, I think it helps your marriage and gives you better tools to, you know, it sounds like you're How's your marriage now? I mean, I think it's fine. I like that you were honest that the first couple of years of your marriage were hard. I think in reality, that's probably true for a lot of people. <laughs> How are you guys doing now? Um, we're much better. I think um, receiving a diagnosis helped, um, helped me kind of have a name what I was experiencing and um you know what wasn't helpful though is that it's a hard thing to talk about and I think with obsessive compulsive disorder it kind of it's more like a pattern of anxiety and compulsions that you do but it can attach to any number of things, any parts, you know, different parts of your life. And typically, you know, those are your biggest values that it attaches to. So the fact that I struggle with scrupulosity and relationship OCD is really because doing the right thing is important to me and my marriage is important to me. And yet, ironically, through acting on obsessive compulsive disorder, I sort of make these things so much harder for myself. And um, with different types of OCD, some of them are, are harder or more taboo to talk about than others. And relationship OCD, I feel is just a, a hard thing to, to tell your husband. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, my, my OCD focuses on our marriage and our relationship. And I'm sorry that this causes pain for both of us. And 
I'm working on it, but, <laughs> but it's still there. And, and it's a hard thing sometimes to try and talk to my husband about. It's a hard thing to talk to other people about because I don't want to be misunderstood. Um, I don't want people to think that I don't love my husband or, um, you know, hurt feelings. And so there are some aspects of it, things I can talk to a therapist about, but a lot of it, I think some of it is, are, it's just between me and my savior and that, you know, some things might just always be that way. And it's okay because it turns me toward him. And sorry, that didn't, that, that didn't was answer great. <laughs> no, it did. And you actually <laughs> said something that Dr. Deborah McClendon said on this podcast is a scrupulosity therapist. She talks about it attacks the things that are the most important. So it, it's, it, my empathy for people with scrupulosity just sort of went off the chart. Um, as I've learned more about this, because this is something that attacks really wonderful, sincere people that really care about things and attacks the thing they care about. So um, if you're a missionary, this is sometimes where it starts. It attacks your feeling of your personal worthiness because you care so much about being personally worthy and being fully capable of a missionary that attacks that about you because you actually care and you actually um, are trying to do so much on your mission to be the kind of missionary you want to be and talks about in your set apart blessing that um, scrupulosity attacks that and it causes you to feel unworthy um, in, a, in an OCD way that causes you to think of everything and just all these reasons you're unworthy. And I recognize what you also talk about it, it attacks in this case your relationship because you care so much about your husband and your marriage and making the right decision and being deeply committed to that so if you didn't care and if you weren't deeply committed and you didn't look at this for time and eternity and look at this as just a six-month marriage and it's just a casual thing i don't think your scrupulosity would have done what it's done but i think since you actually care and want to make the right decision, I can just, I wish our listeners could see you because I can see you and I can just sense this caring, deeply committed person to what she does. She is all in. Uh, marriage, mission, academic work, you've got a master's degree. I bet you're a great mom, but I think the OCD attacks the things that you are most important to you and the things you're most committed to. And then we just mourn for people um, and we, and therapists can help you sort of live with the ambiguity of that. And, and my natural reaction is to reinforce that you're worthy of all those things. But I think the therapist helps me understand for you to live with the ambiguity of all those worlds and, you know, and just sort of live with the tolerance for the ambiguity that you'll never have certainty in all these things, but to just live with the ambiguity of it. That's a really, you know, I, I, it's really insightful for me. And then it helps me if I'm your husband to sort of understand this isn't a spiritual weakness. This isn't a commitment issue. This isn't a mental health issue. Um, and it helps me because I'm sure your husband, if you were on the podcast, says, this has been hard for me at times too. Um, but yeah. it probably helps him to know to have a, a label for this relationship OCD because then he probably thinks it's not about me. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't have to fix this necessarily or do something different. He just kind of has to understand this is what's going on. And it's actually a sign of your commitment. More thoughts on that as I share that. Um, yeah, I would just add that it's, it's a hard combination to have for me, at least maybe it manifests differently for others, but scrupulosity and relationship OCD, um, because for me, I'm really concerned about doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing and, uh, you know, just being the very best I can be. And you get married and now you're supposed to be one. And in our church, you know, we believe you're exalted together. And so 
for me, that has been really hard. And for my husband, because not only am I now concerned and being hard on myself, but it also kind of extends to him. And is he always doing the right thing? And I don't think he is doing the right thing. How do I make him do the thing? And, and that's where compulsions would come out that were, would be really damaging to our relationship. And um, I, I imagine that there may be other listeners who may struggle with that too. And I just, I just, (laughs) I have spent a lot of time feeling so isolated that I, I don't want others to feel that way. I, I, I just want, I want everybody to feel like they don't have to be stuck where they are and that there are people with similar experiences, whether or not you ever connect with them, you're not the only one. And I, I guess I, I only have my experience to share, but I hope that anybody with a similar experience could, could listen to this and feel a little bit less alone. Got a great heart. Talk about just how this led into starting a blog. Was there a tipping point or because I love the way you're framing this up. I just don't want other people to feel alone like I've felt at times. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny question because I do say I don't want others to feel alone, but it's kind of selfish as well because it helps me feel less alone by reaching out to other people. Um, and I guess I should say you asked how, how our marriage is doing now. And actually... We had our first child of three and a half years ago, and um, it was a really hard decision for me to make, and OCD played a, a big role in that as well. Um, but I had multiple strong promptings that we needed to start our family, and having our, our child was a real blessing for our marriage. And again, that's my experience. I know that's not the experience for everybody, Um, but it just sort of opened my eyes to more important things um, so that my husband and I were now kind of uh, committed together on this, this thing that was bigger than just us. And it made a lot of things that had caused me anxiety would just seem less important. And I think that was helpful for our relationship. It also brought in new anxieties, of course. Um, and that's been a different journey, but that, that was actually really helpful for our marriage. And I remember thinking before I had my first child that maybe I could somehow find a way to write about mental health as a mother, but I didn't know what it was going to be like because I hadn't had her yet. And that was kind of, I think, when the idea started. Um, I've always really liked writing. I studied communications and I do a lot of writing there. I took a couple of creative writing classes and it's just been like an an outlet for me. So um, when I when I thought about maybe turning this idea into a blog, I sort of brushed it off at first because, you know, I figured I wasn't a good enough writer. I didn't know enough. I didn't have enough to say. People might not like what I said, or, you know, maybe their experiences would contradict my experience, or I probably couldn't make money with it. You know, all these different reasons to not start it. Um, But there were a few things that helped me just go ahead and do it anyway. (laughs) One was that it just, um, I just couldn't let go of the idea. It kept coming back to my mind. Um, And a big one was um, interviewing artists, actually, with the BYU Art Department. I I do a lot of writing and I, I interview artists and visual artists. And I hear about their stories and how they, 
approach art. And that was really inspiring to me. The way a lot of them talk about creativity as being um, sort of like breathing for some of them, just, you know, like this thing that's a part of their life, that's a part of them. And um, they give themselves a lot of freedom to just explore through making art rather than seeking certainty or trying to find answers. And um, I, I'm by no means a, an artist in that way, but it, it really connected with me as far as how I think about writing. Um, <clears throat> and so that was, that was one thing that, that was helpful for me. Also, um, there were like a number of people who kind of all shared a similar sentiment kind of around the time that right before I started my blog. And that was one of them was back in women's conference in the spring. And I can't remember the exact words, but they shared basically like we're all given different gifts and it's our purpose in life to figure out how to use those gifts rather than trying to figure out how to gain someone else's gifts or um, just figuring out kind of what, what God wants you to do with your gifts. And writing is just something that I always have come back to. And I always brush it off because I think, well, that's not a moneymaker or I'm not going to, you know, ever write a novel or anything, but this was just a, a small way that I could act on that. And so I went ahead and started it and it's been just really fulfilling for me. You know, even if I never reach lots of people, <laughs> I think it's, it's just been life-changing for me. It's been a way for me to express myself and process feelings and learn about the world and about myself and mental health and, and all of these things. So the, the blog, the blog, I don't think I mentioned this, but it's about, it kind of covers the topics of marriage, motherhood, and mental health. And a lot of like the intersection between those. I should mention also with my blog, even though I am doing most of the writing for the posts, um, I really am interested in sharing the experiences of other people as well. So there's a, a, a tab where you can submit a story, your own story on the blog, or you can just contact me either through the blog or through Instagram, send me a DM and, and tell me that you want to share your experience. Um, and first and foremost, I'm, first and foremost, it's really about mental health. Um, is kind of the overriding theme, but um, I'm interested especially in, in mental health and how that influences our relationships um, with ourselves, our spouse, our kids. And so I've had like a lot of, a few postpartum stories um, and some other things. So if anyone is interested in sharing your story, um, I'd love if you just reach out and contact me. I love that. What have, what have you learned since starting your blog? And mention our, your blog address in case anybody missed it at the beginning. <clears throat> yeah, so it's thesoulofthings.com. Um, and I've learned a ton. I've learned a lot about mental health and OCD, which has been um, really helpful for me personally. And I feel like kind of just being in this, this world of mental health is, has been a catalyst for me to just learn about the world and about um, human nature and all of these things. So I think one of the biggest things that I've learned that I've really been thinking about is all of the, the inner work that we all have to do and whether it's motivated by faith or faith crises or relationships or, you know, whatever it is that is important to you or that you 
come to question or that for some whatever reason you're digging deeper into that that life is is really just better when we put in the work to really work on ourselves inwardly and owning our choices and our feelings and our responsibilities and not making our happiness based on someone else's response to us. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this, like with, with politics as well. And, um, how I think that if we all kind of focused on ourselves and, and what we can be doing and, and how we can help ourselves sort of thing and not letting the response of others or a different worldview really threaten your identity that I think that if we all learned this and really put it into practice, there would be a lot less polarization and a lot more unity. And um, I, th I think along with that, that for someone like me with OCD, uncertainty really affects us more than someone without OCD. And we just, we don't handle uncertainty well. <laughs> as we've kind of talked about. Um, and I've always kind of been really uncertain, really indecisive about things. And I've always really kind of put myself down for that. Um, and I've considered it a weakness that I can't always like make up my mind or form like a quick opinion about something or someone, or even sometimes a slow opinion. I'm always... Feel like I'm kind of hovering in between um but with this blog I'm trying to sort of lean into that as like a blessing or a gift and and what are the gifts of uncertainty and I think a couple of things that it often allows me to withhold judgment of others and to more readily love others and I think like with the recent general conference it, there was a lot of discussion about unity and I, I was thinking about how we all just live with a lot of uncertainty. And within the church, I think there are some things that we know, and there are a lot of things that we don't know. And I guess I want to help build unity in that uncertainty because I think that we know more together. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great segment, Abby. I hope you realize how cool that last segment was. I love the ideas. I'm leaning into this part about me. And I'm looking at the gifts it creates and my ability to help others. I just think that's how your heavenly parents would talk to you about this. Even though you would love to not have OCD. Um, I love, in fact, she, uh, you couldn't see this listeners, but Abby actually physically moved when she said lean into, she actually, <laughs> and I think that's so symbolic of what you're doing here. It is so cool. And then the associated gifts that come in your, all those gifts you actually use in the context of what it's, how you're then be able to help others. Um, you're less judgmental. You're especially in this time, you'll be able to maybe bring people more unity and bring us together. So I love that. And I just think the more I visit with people that just have stuff, um, I think a lot of that stuff is stuff that, yeah, it makes our lives harder. But also as we lean into that, it, it helps us be able to become the people that I think heavenly parents want us to be. Um, so I love that about you. And I love that you're kind of owning this and the associated gifts and just felt impressed to start a blog. And, and it's really, I think that's great. I think that's just absolutely terrific. And I recognize, you know, that there's so much uncertainty right now. We're in the middle of COVID. We're in the middle of election. We're in the middle of just so much uncertainty more than usual. Um, and so I recognize that there's a lot of people that need what you are be able to share that are dealing with uncertainty. Um, talk about what um, some, and you can either go on more there or I'll lead you. This is the last question we've got. What's something you wish people understood about mental health? 
So I have this thought recently, and and maybe it's not a really unique thought. I've I've heard some of this before, but um, I wish that we thought of it more like we do with physical health. And the two are very related. I think most of us have learned that, for example, getting sleep is great for your physical health and your mental health. Um, For me, exercise is as well. Um, But some people develop mental illnesses just like some people develop physical illnesses. But at the same time, everybody really should be aware of and care for their mental health, just like we all want to care for our physical health. and so like with our physical health, even without developing a physical illness, our physical health has its ups and downs. And sometimes it's harder to maintain than others. So sometimes if we know about that ahead of time, we can adjust the precautions that we take. So like during flu season, we get flu shots because we know that we're more likely to get sick or Maybe like if you're going to fly on a plane and be around a lot of people, you might take extra emergency or whatever. Um, If we get a cold, we might make more efforts to get more rest and drink water, take vitamins or medication or whatever it is. Or like after we get a surgery, we give our body time to heal. Um, And that's all without having a physical illness. We still, you know, adjust what we're doing or take these precautions. And I think that it's the same with mental health. Um, It may flare up because of stress or grief. And, you know, we need to adjust accordingly and do the things that we know are good for our mental health. Or sometimes we can plan ahead for things that we expect will be hard, like a big life change, like like giving birth and becoming a, a parent or moving across the country or, you know, starting college or graduating college, whatever it is, um, we can, we can kind of just be aware of the impact that will have on us mentally and emotionally. And so I guess I feel like I wish that people knew that mental health is something that everybody deals with to some extent, not just those with a mental illness and a mental illness can, you know, flare up or, or come about with with someone who wouldn't expect it to. So I guess I wish that we just thought of it as more parallel to our physical health in all of those aspects. I love that. Um, What would you say to yourself back in on your mission, knowing all you know now, you're 10 years removed from, um, you know, if you could have that, if you could talk to yourself kind of in those harder times before you could talk to your mission president, before you got to a, um, a therapist, what would you say to yourself? That's such a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's a hard question for me to answer because I feel like things had to go how they did for me to be here. Great for answer. For me to know what I know now, I had to go through all of those struggles. And so I, I don't think that I would change anything. I mean, I, I wish, you know, I just look back on my younger self with compassion and empathy but I'm just glad that she stuck with it and that she had faith and that she didn't give up. And um, I, I feel like the biggest lesson that I learned from my mission um, was a scripture that I read. Um, it's in Second Nephi chapter eight, verse three, that this was something that just really stuck out to me is so beautiful. And it says, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. 
joy and gladness will be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And I feel like that just sort of became like a theme of my mission and maybe my life since then that, that God is aware of us and whatever happens to us or around us, he can and will make good out of it and he will consecrate it and, and bless us for it. And I just feel like on this whole journey for me that Jesus has just been on it with me. You know, there's, there's that story about the footprints in the sand and how Jesus carries you. And I guess I haven't really felt like that. I don't feel like Jesus has carried me. I feel like it's been really hard, but I do feel like he's just been beside me the whole way, the whole way kind of leading me and prodding me and helping me figure things out. But mostly, you know, just kind of a silent partner a lot of the time, but there, and I can feel him there. Um, and so, so maybe that doesn't totally answer your question. It does. Um, (laughs) you said something really powerful. Um, hope you realize how powerful that was. When I went back to your younger self, you wouldn't change anything because you needed to learn those lessons. And I thought of that sometimes what our heavenly parents do for us. It's the same thing you just did for yourself. If you could go back and, and, and solve that, you wouldn't have because you recognize all the learning that's occurred. And I think sometimes we think of why, does this, why don't we heavenly parents lift this burden from us? It's really hard. And they probably don't do that at times for the same reason you wouldn't have done it to your younger self, because you know, you didn't say this, but it's directly, but it's true. You're a better person. I think you kind of inferred that, but you're too humble to say that you're a better person because of going through that experience versus having it lifted. I think you're a better wife because of it, a better human. And I think then you lean into this to be able to help other people. I think you're a better mother. I think that, This experience will, you've got young kids right now, but I think the, the experience you've had the last 10 years and will continue to have one of the gifts of that are going to be moments where you just get it with your own kids. They may never have OCD. You may be the only buddy in your family with OCD, but I think it helps you as a parent, um, just to have more skills and into insights and intuition to be able to help your own kids versus having that lifted from you back in the Netherlands um, or wherever you were, you know, Belgium, Netherlands um, during that time. So I love the way, I love your answer for that. And I think it's a, it's a really thoughtful 40,000 foot level answer. I think of Elder Holland's talk from conference and he just goes through, this is the October conference, 2020 listeners. It just goes through, kind of how hard it is sometimes. And then he just ends with this, and he doesn't really, he just ends with by and by as his phrase to just say, we gradually move forward. And sometimes it, it doesn't really lift. It's just that by and by we learn how to sort of lean into it, move forward and not all of these things ever lift. Um, and I think that's sometimes what our heavenly parents want for us. Um, is not to have these things lift because it helps us. I think it helps us in our next life after mortality. And that's kind of where Elder Holland's talk took me to is that we're not meant to just have these simple, wonderful, everything goes well, mortal life, because that's why we're here. Um, And you've been stretched and tested and pulled and our listeners have too. And I have, and I think that's part of mortality. And our heavenly parents with that 40,000 foot view get, what it's going to do for us later in our mortal lives, but also in our eternal lives. And, and so I think that's great. And I think you just said that to your younger self, and I think it's your understanding of the plan. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Abby? Yeah, I guess I just am at a point now, and it still changes a little bit day to day, but I, I just feel 
incredibly grateful for the experiences that I've had and people that I have met. And um, I think that when, when we look for the hand of God in our lives, that we'll find it even, um, even when it's hard. And I know back on my mission, when I was really struggling, when I was at my lowest point, I, I was in like this really special city and I just seemed like everyone we contacted either was like in rehab for some addictions or they were caring for someone in rehab. Um, I just felt like there were a lot of wounded people there and maybe that's true all over the world, but it just seemed really magnified on the city where I was serving. And um, I just, I really felt connected with them, even though our struggles were different. You know, I wasn't struggling with addiction, but I was feeling broken and wounded too. And that just really gave me a lot of compassion for the people that we were meeting and teaching. And in turn, I felt like they were a huge blessing for me to just be able to kind of share that unspoken experience with them, even if it was one-sided, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't know what I was experiencing, but um, just knowing that we were both kind of in a dark place, I guess, was really, really helped me and really, I think, strengthened me too. Thank you. Um, we encourage our listeners to check out The Soul of Things. I'm just on Abby's blog right now. There's a post, the most recent one is The Birthing. And these are just wonderful pictures. And it's just so well laid out, Abby. And it's called thesoulofthings.com. So I encourage people to go to Abby Widmer. Um, yes. Finally, at the end of the podcast, I said your name right. And Thank you for reaching out. Um, thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Mm-hmm.